In Canada, a person goes missing every seven minutes. Of the 71,000 people reported missing each year, about 26,000 of them are adults. The good news is that most of the adults reported missing will be found within a week. About 88% of them will return or be located within that time frame. But what about those that just aren't found? The mothers and fathers, sons and daughters who disappear without a trace. These are the cases that we really need your help to solve. I'm Ellen White and you are listening to Whereabouts Unknown. Thank you for joining me for today's episode, The Disappearance of Danny Galton. At this time, we would like to advise our listeners that today's podcast contains mention of violence. It is not suitable for children or sensitive listeners. In 1997, Danny Galton is a 26-year-old man who leaves his family and home in Labrador City to travel west, as so many other young people did in the 90s, to cash in on the economic boom in Alberta. At that time, Alberta's economy was the strongest in the country, and this meant the jobs were plentiful. Given the economic climate on Canada's east coast at the time, Danny and many others left their homes and families in hopes of a better and more prosperous future. So Danny heads west and he does all of the right things. He's recently become qualified as a correctional officer and he finds a job in a youth detention facility. No stranger to hard work, Danny takes on a second job as a security guard at a construction site on the night shift. Danny is literally working night and day, sharing a trailer with an ever-changing series of roommates and doing everything he can to get ahead. Now, life for Danny was going really well. Two jobs meant two paychecks, and the outgoing and charismatic life of the party Danny was making lots of friends. He was heading out to bars, visiting his friends in their own mobile homes, and looking forward to a successful future in the way any other healthy young man of 26 might. But all of that came to a full stop on November 24, 1997, when Danny Galton just disappeared. Our team has spent weeks now looking into Danny's case, and we've had a lot of help from our listeners. Within an hour of our very first social media post, looking for information about Danny's disappearance, people started to message us. People who had witnessed the events of November 24, 1997, people who had direct and concrete information about exactly what had happened to Danny Galton. Now, investigations are a matter of starting with a whole list of possible outcomes and using the evidence to eliminate the ones that simply don't fit. In regard to what happened to Danny Galton, we considered every single possibility. After a careful examination of the facts, and after speaking with more than 90 people who had vital information about his disappearance, we have ruled out the following possibilities. Now, the first possibility that we looked at is suicide. While this seems to have perhaps been the working theory of the Grand Prairie RCMP back in the day, it just didn't happen. We've consulted with mental health experts regarding Danny's case, and we absolutely agree. There is not a single conversation, note, or behavior to indicate that Danny was in any way suicidal. He was happy, loved his jobs, was making new friends, and was just starting to enjoy the fruits of his hard-earned labor. Danny had no history of depression or mental illness. While our team is usually more comfortable with phrases like extremely unlikely in regard to possible explanations for a disappearance, 
For the first time, we are going to use the word impossible. Based on everything we know and our decades of experience, we feel it just impossible that Danny chose to take his own life. The second possible outcome we needed to consider was that Danny may have chosen to get in his car, just drive away to start a new life in places unknown, making a complete break with his past. Given Danny's exceptionally strong connections with his siblings, friends, and especially with his mother, we cannot imagine for a second that he would choose to leave them, his jobs, and the belongings he'd worked so hard for behind. On the night of his disappearance, Danny's wallet was left at his trailer, and he took no clothing or other belongings. We feel it extremely unlikely that Danny would decide to just abandon it all. Additionally, in 23 years, Danny's bank account has not been used and his family has never been contacted. The third possible outcome we looked at was a potential traffic mishap that resulted in Danny perhaps losing control of his car and entering a body of water or a ravine. On the route that Danny would have traveled, there would have not been the opportunity for him to do so. Danny was on a well-traveled urban roadway at all times on that night, and there would have been no chance for his car to just disappear with him in it. The fourth potential outcome we considered is one that we sometimes hear about, but one that is incredibly rare. Could Danny have been suffering from a kind of dissociative amnesia and just forgotten who or where he was? Given how rare this disorder is, and given how no trace of Danny has ever been seen again, we feel that this potential outcome is also extremely unlikely. There is no medical evidence in Danny's past to suggest that he was a candidate for this to happen, and he was driving his car. If he had turned up anywhere, not knowing who he was, a simple check of his vehicle's registration would have led law enforcement to easily identify him and find that he was listed as a missing person. The fifth outcome that we looked at was whether Danny had witnessed something that he might have brought to the attention of law enforcement, resulting in him being placed in a witness protection program. While it is entirely possible that any person can witness a criminal event or come upon information of a criminal nature, it does not appear that Danny was ever called on to provide information resulting in anyone's conviction in that area at that time we think that this potential outcome is also extremely unlikely. Now, in each and every case where the evidence has led us to rule out every other possible outcome, we have to look at the possibility of foul play. Today, I'm joined by Danny's sister, Valerie. Val, please tell our listeners about Danny. How would you describe him as a person? Um, It's kind of hard to describe Danny's personality, firstly, because he is very, very missed and it's difficult to talk about all the things that you miss about somebody, um, for so long, not only myself, but my siblings, his nieces and nephews, our extended family and many, many others miss this guy so terribly. Danny had a big personality and I mean, huge. He lit up a room. He was that kind of guy. He was a natural jokester and he was his happiest when he had everyone joking and carrying on. And he was good at it. I tell you, he was really good at it. He made friends easily. He was the kind of guy people just wanted to be around. He was charming in every sense of the word. And he was so fun and so, so funny. You just couldn't help but be drawn to Danny. We have and still have friends of his and strangers alike reach out to us 
to tell us how he impacted their lives and how his disappearance impacted their lives. And just as big as his personality was his heart. I mean, he extended a lot of kindness to a lot of people. Um, and he's just not the type of guy that people forget. Um, for our family, Danny's loss has been devastating. I, I just don't know another word to even describe. Um, his absence from our lives. It's been really, really hard. He was the youngest boy in our family and he brought a lot of joy to our lives. And I mean a lot. Um, like I said, he was so fun and so funny. And sometimes, I mean, of course, as siblings, he would drive us crazy with his antics and his tricks. And sometimes you'd just be so mad at him. But immediately within seconds, he would just have you in absolute fits of laughter. He was just, you know, and I'm not saying these things because he's my brother. He just was a larger than life personality. And it's, it's difficult, I guess, to, excuse me, to describe uh, somebody like that. Um, so, yeah, Danny's not just missing. He's really, really missed by a lot of people and by our family so much. Um, he had really great friendships, but he also had really great family relationships with all of our family, but especially our mom. He was her baby boy, and he'd joke and call her Suze. Her, her name was Susan, and she'd give him a hard time about it, but they had a very deep bond and a very deep friendship. And no matter what Danny had on the go in his life, he always called mom. And they kept in very close contact right up until the point of his disappearance. Um, unfortunately, mom passed away in 2008. And I know that um, she prayed and hoped for him to return every day until her very last. And it was really hard on her, especially. Um, of course, it was hard on all of us. And it's still hard on us. But uh, it, it really took a toll on my mom. Um, he had great relationships with all of our siblings. And even though, you know, you never want to admit this, I think, you know, secretly he was kind of all of our favorite. Um, he was the favorite brother, the favorite uncle, all of those things. And, um, that's not just cause he's not here anymore. I think that was just a reality of Danny's personality. And, you know, there's a state, a saying, always stay humble and kind. And that was Danny in a nutshell, I guess. He was just a really all-around great guy. We have heard that over and over again, Val, from people who have uh, sent us messages and, and called in, just wanting to talk about the incredible impact he had had on their lives. Yeah, now, he was pretty amazing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, no, Danny is on the East Coast and he um, comes to be in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about how he came to be in Grand Prairie? Um, so Danny was kind of always interested in the correctional officer kind of field. And so he actually went to school. He went to college and did a course in corrections. And he came home that summer to Labrador City, um, where myself and my mom and uh, my other sister lived. And he spent the summer here, and then he decided, you know, there was some people from both here and other, you know, friends he knew from Newfoundland that were heading out to Alberta to find work. And he kind of jumped on that. Um, he was a hard worker, and 
he basically just went there to find employment and make some money and had some, you know, loose connections there at the time. So it makes total sense. So Val, you and your family have never for a day let this issue go. You have always been determined to find Annie. You even posted a $100,000 reward for information that came out of your family's hard-earned dollars. Why do you think that now, after all these years, people are coming forward with information that finally explains the circumstances of Danny's disappearance? Um, I think that time changes a lot of things. And after decades of what really seems to be, you know, I guess a dry spell for as far as information goes, people now are feeling more comfortable, safer discussing this. Like you said, time passes and things change. Um, We've had so many people reach out with information recently. And I know your team, Ellen, has had a lot of conversations and taken statements from dozens of those people. Um, We've heard from people who are actually there on the night that Danny went missing. And they saw the events unfold and have identified the people they feel are responsible. Many people who reached out have been, you know, struggling with guilt over the years of not speaking out before or sooner or at the time that this happened and we understand how difficult that is and how much of a burden that is and how difficult that is to carry and we're definitely grateful for the information that everybody has provided in recent months Um, it's really given us so many pieces missing puzzle pieces for sure So based on information that our team has uncovered, this is what we believe happened to Danny Galton on the night of his disappearance, November 24th, 1997. During his time in Grand Prairie, Danny Galton and his friends had been known to frequent a bar at the Park Hotel. In many respects, the Park Hotel was typical of so many downtown bars in the West at that time, offering alcohol, gambling at the VLTs, and an ever-changing lineup of strippers. This bar did a booming business, and even on a Monday night was filled with people looking to hang out with friends and enjoy the music and party atmosphere. Included in the many people who came to the park to spend their hard-earned paychecks were bikers. Despite the occasional run-in, a workable peace seems to have been maintained at the park. All witnesses agree on this. On November 24, 1997, Danny Galton visited the park hotel more than once. Whether it was a dispute over his car or whether it all started with a disagreement over one of the strippers, we are clear on this. Danny Galton was the victim of a vicious assault, we are told, by a man described as an outlaw biker club hangaround, a man who didn't belong to a club but wanted to. Associates of this man became involved in the attack on Danny Galton, and witnesses described Danny's unconscious and seemingly lifeless body being dragged by these men down a hallway and from the hotel, according to an eyewitness with the soles of his shoes facing up and his toes dragging. Witnesses tell us that within days of these events, a man's body is seen on the roof of the hotel where it lay wrapped in a mattress in the bitter cold. No trace of Danny Galton or his vehicle has ever been found. The old saying is that all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. 
And we have got to say that so many good people have come forward with information about Danny's disappearance. During the course of our conversations, we heard stories of alleged undercover officers, confidential informants, and even heard accusations of potential police or civilian moles within the police service at that time. We don't know if any of that is true, but we do know this. Every person who was there and witnessed the events that night, and every person who came forward after having heard the information, second or third hand, has told the same story and identified the very same people as being responsible. On behalf of the Galton family, we want to issue this appeal. If you have any information about the disappearance of Danny Galton or what happened at the Park Hotel on Monday, November 24th, 1997, or if you know anything about the location of Danny's vehicle, a 1985 gold four-door Chrysler LeBaron, we really need you to reach out. You may have told your story to the police back in the day, and you may have even told it more than once. But it is so important that you tell your story confidentially and privately just one more time. We know that many of the witnesses who have reached out have described the impact on their lives that witnessing such a traumatic event has caused. We know that many of you have struggled with guilt in not coming forward sooner. But it is a different time and a different day, and you can come forward in safety to bring closure to a family who has suffered for more than 23 years. We want to hear what you have to say without judgment. We are happy to discuss the terms of the $100,000 reward that the Galton family has posted. Whether you know it or not, you may have had that last piece of the puzzle that is needed to bring closure to this family. Please contact us, the Galton family, or Crime Stoppers. For pictures of Danny in his vehicle, please visit our podcast page on Facebook. Now, Val, I know this is going to be a very difficult question, and I want to apologize in advance for asking it, but... Based on the evidence you've received, the conversations that you've had, what do you and your family think has happened to Danny? Well, Ellen, it's obviously been 23 years, so we've had a lot of time to imagine every possibility. Um, But based on the evidence supplied to us by the witnesses and others coming forward, and of course, given the fact that Dan, there's been no trace of Danny for more than 23 years. It's definitely our feeling that Danny was killed on the night that he disappeared. Now, the information that you now have regarding the person or persons responsible, what have you done with that information? We have taken that information and forwarded it on to the RCMP. And what's the best way for people to help you and your family right now? We are really encouraging anyone with any knowledge of what happened to Danny that night to come forward and talk about it. Like I mentioned previously, um, there's been a lot of time. Time changes a lot of things. And we've received so much information, but there's still some loose ends that we would definitely like to tie up, especially in regard to Danny's car. And we understand that 23 years ago, people may have been afraid or they may have told their story to police at the time, or they may have just been waiting for somebody to contact them. So we're urging those people that if you did speak to the RCMP in 1997 or after to reach out again, 
Um, if you feel like you have any small bit of information that could be at all helpful to contact us, don't wait for somebody to contact you. Just, just reach out to, you know, somebody and let them know. Um, sometimes people think that their information is really, really small and insignificant, but you never know what little tiny piece will tie everything together Um, so we just want people to, you know, consider what they may know about Danny prior, during, after his disappearance and reach out. We really need and appreciate the information that those people have. Um, it doesn't have, like I said, it doesn't have to be anything big. Sometimes the smallest bit is all that we need to bring everything together. I'm Ellen White. Thank you for listening to The Disappearance of Danny Galton on Whereabouts Unknown. Thank you.